Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to finally meet you because this is how we meet each other nowadays over Zoom. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about. Sure. So um, my name is Gary Benger. Gary Benger is my author name. Um, I've spent something like 30 years in tech. I've been retired and doing lots of other things um, in the last couple of decades. Uh, in tech, I was in a whole number of different fields, everything from bioscience to computer peripherals, chip design, uh, streaming video over the internet, such as what we're doing now, the beginnings of that. And, uh, and then the internet itself, I, I was the CFO at eBay and took them public back in 1998. I, wow. Uh, I stayed there until there were a few thousand employees and we were selling $100 billion worth of stuff. And then I went on to other things at some point. And, uh, and uh, I've been doing philanthropy for the last um, couple of decades. And then I went back to school and I um, backfilled an astrophysics degree. I backfilled in uh, a philosophy degree. I got a master's in philosophy of mind. Uh, and then I was spending a lot of time thinking about what is the mind? What is human consciousness? And then that led me to uh, write a book, uh, which is a novel uh, entitled Unfettered Journey, in which I take a hard science view of the future. And so. Uh, so there, there's there's a path that takes me to where I am today and why we're talking. I love it. I love it. So, what do you want to talk about first? I mean, you've got such a such a history. I mean, what do you? <laughs> I'm like, you and I could like talk forever because it's like I've been I've been here since uh, since '98 and uh, in the Bay Area, and you know we have a lot of history. But I mean, it sounds like you went you were in the right place at the right time at the very beginning. How did, how did you manage to do that? Did you, were you prescient? Were you like a futurist going, uh, I got to be there. I got to be there when all this is happening. <laughs> well, there was a little bit of that. You know, I had a degree in computer science and decision theory. And uh, and uh, I was doing management consulting in New York at one point in my career uh, after Harvard Business School. And uh, and then I, I was doing some consulting in tech. And I said, I really want to be inside the companies rather than out. And that's when I came back to the Bay Area. And got into tech, and and then uh, in terms of luck, um, I actually will attribute it to uh, lots of at bats. <laughs> you know, that know, is pop, that is the secret. That's lines. that's what yeah. the VCs say, right? You just got to yeah. keep swinging. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know, uh, out at first, you know, a couple of hits a second, and you know, then there's eBay was clearly a home run. So, uh, but but I got the chance then to get into the technology, and I think we're both. Um, you know, we believe in technology um, solving problems for mankind, right? I mean, there's oh yeah, good that's, that's what it's for. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of lost its way a little bit, but uh, hopefully, we can get it back to back to that again. I think so. So, I, I think Chris, I, I heard some of your other um, uh, conversations. You are an optimist about the future, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I try. Too. 
<laughs> not with it's kind of hard it's like there's so much dystopia you know pressing in on all sides and i'm like wait a minute guys come on <laughs> okay and I'm doesn't have you. to be that bad i, I agree and i'm with you it's I'm, I'm an optimist too so one of the reasons i wrote this book is because i think i have a, a certain, certain thesis about the future and i'm taking a little bit more of a longer view than maybe that you've been dealing with some of your other guests. Um, I, I'm on the board of the Santa Fe Institute, as among other things, which is complexity science, you know, uh, collaborative research among multi disciplines. And uh, so I do believe the world is nonlinear. <laughs> okay, it's a complex adaptive system. Uh, and so that means it's really hard to predict what will happen tomorrow, you know, the Ukraine war, all kinds of crazy things can and do happen in the world. Um, but I do think that there are certain things that we can look ahead and we can say some things with some more high likelihood for the longer term based on trends. And so, so maybe I can talk about that today. I mean, I think that's useful as a baseline. Sure, sure. Okay. But okay. Here's, the, here's the question for you, though. If there was an AI out there, yes. which yes. we fed all this data into, would it be able to make better predictions than us, than human beings? Um, it's not available yet, right? I think not, actually. Mm. And the reason is, is because the system is, the, the, the nature of the world is so nonlinear. I mean, like, right. let me use an example. Um, imagine that you have a pendulum and you hold it up and it swings back and forth and we can start to predict that behavior. Now think of a double jointed pendulum where there's one joint and you've got two pieces. And imagine you standing that up in a straight line and you let go of it, it, you make it as perfectly vertical, and then it falls. Now we can remember, imagine if you can think of that, look at double, uh, you know, double jointed uh, uh, pendulum. And it, it, it exhibits uh, a nonlinear behavior, right? It turns out that if you add three degrees of mathematical um, uh, freedom, you have a completely nonlinear system, right? Wow, only three and degrees? That's three all degrees. you need? That's all you need. And we have way more than that. <laughs> and, and everything that you deal with in our society, in nature, is far more degrees of freedom. And so those compound each other. So, you know, so the system itself is nonlinear. Uh, someone, I think, I think this was attributed to Maya Angelou, who said, you get up in the morning, you drink your coffee, you go to work, you assume you will arrive. Why do you make that assumption, right? You know, and the next thing you know, exactly. you, you stopped at the stop sign, you went forward, someone didn't, you, you wake up and you're in an ambulance on the way to the emergency room, right? Now, what do, what do we as humans, now imagine that scenario, you're there. Well, what we do is we go, you know, a total nonlinear thing happened to us. And yet we as humans go, okay, where am I at? Am I stable? You know, there's medics here. You could imagine that we would start from that point and we would we would move forward right that's our mental yeah but i mean i think yeah. i think we've all fallen for the myth of the steady state that there is some kind of steady state that we seem to get into a groove and we say well this is how i am when i wake up today i'm going to be the same as i was yesterday tomorrow i'll be the same as i am today but i think that's a fallacy it's like it's evolutionary it's evolutionary right because yeah. you know if you're yeah. walking through the forest and the cat jumps out you run like heck and then, yeah, exactly. But, but but that's how you deal with this nonlinearity. But you don't go, oh my God, the world's unpredictable. It's like you know what you do when nonlinearity hits. Right? So, so. 
Okay. Yeah. So, 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 okay, but I think that there are long trends and this is where, um, so I, looking ahead to, let me say the next century, this century, okay? That I think there are two major technology trends that affect humankind more than anything else. Number one is bioscience and number two is AI and robotics, okay? And what I think is that, is that for the first one, bioscience, you know, CRISPR-Cas9, the technology, I was in that for half a dozen years, it's gonna make a dramatic effect on humankind. I mean, in a hundred years, will we cure cancer? Probably, you know, will we live longer? Yes, um, uh, but will we notice, <laughs> okay? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not even sure if we're gonna still be human in the shape that we are today in a hundred years. I know we were human a hundred years ago, but in a hundred years, will we still be human in this shape and form? I don't know. Yes, yes, no, I think we will be. I think we will be. Uh, so the reason I say it doesn't matter, we won't notice is because, you know, if, if everyone uh, lived 20 years longer, well, that's the way life is, right? Everyone lives to a hundred or 110 or something, but we won't notice. But what will we notice in our day-to-day -day life? And that's where I think AI and robotics will transform the way life feels. But to your other point, I think that, yes, we will be very much the same humans. Okay. You know, um, uh, one of the, uh, I think it was in She Single Magazine, the reviewer said that this future in the year 2161, almost 140 years from now, feels eerily authentic. Because I think encounter what you were just suggesting. No, we will still be human. I, I do not believe this, you know, will be brains uploaded in, in computers and all that stuff. I don't think that will happen at all. Maybe partial brains, right? No, no. <laughs> Bits no, of brains. No, no, I don't think so. I think, I can't, okay, so there's, so uh, in my book, Unfettered Journey, I imagine a future in 140 years that is, uh, takes a hard science view, okay? So, so what I've said is that there's two things. There's bioscience and there's AI and robotics that change everything. So I think you can look forward to the, that future and you can say some things that are highly likely. And so maybe I can explore that now. What do I think that looks like? Just go for it. Okay. I want to hear. Okay. So, so um, robots. Okay. We've everyone's seen the Boston Dynamics robots dancing, you know, and there. Uh, the Honda robot was throwing free throws from the center line in the Olympics, right? I mean, that looks gee whiz. They're going to be here tomorrow, right? Um, I don't think so. Uh, At least according to the media, they want to they want to foment panic, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I don't think that will happen. I mean, I think that the robots will be like the automobile. You know, yes, in the early 1900s, Henry Ford, we had automobiles all over the place, but that's not the car we have today. It took a century for that automobile to, you know, add the roads, add the legal structure, all of that stuff to make that the car we have today. And I think that's the model for the robot is that it will take a long time to get it to work right. So I think in this There'll be a long period when they're rather than being terrifying like Terminator, they will both basically be annoying. <laughs> they won't quite work. They're right. already pretty annoying. My 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 Alexa is extremely annoying. <laughs> exactly right, right, right. <laughs> so so for example, my book I match. So okay, and also think about this though. I will argue that 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 development will be inevitable because we can see the A to Z engineering 
uh, line to get there, right? Um, you know, military will fund robots so that we'll have robots that get damaged rather than people die. Um, you know, there'll be lots, as we've had uh, uh, automation replacing people, there's been an economic reason to do that, that will continue. And so even though I think it will take a long time, um, the economics will drive that to happen. So um, when I was at the Santa Fe Institute, um, like a year before um, finishing my book, there was a, uh, a conference on um, uh, with the workshops of some of the major AI researchers in the world together okay uh, you know Rodney Brooks that did the Roomba <laughs> you know uh, lots of people have been in the business for 20 and 30 years um, and one of the pre uh, presenters presented a, a topology map think of a topology landscape with hills and valleys and and that was the analog for jobs and, and water rising is the analogy for jobs disappearing through automation okay so imagine that the question is what jobs are at the top of the hills What's the last ones to get automated? Well, if you ask me, I would say sort of physical blue collar jobs, like any kind of personal services or carpentry or stuff like that. They go first, right? Yeah. No, maybe... no, no. They would go last. Oh. Because it's like oh. the white collar jobs where are actually going to go first because they're closer to being something that could be automated. Oh. But okay. I could be wrong. <laughs> well, 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 I think, you know, think future hosts it will probably be around. <laughs> It'll take a long time to make a robot. For now, for now. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> but okay, but I agree with you. My my example is that one of the last jobs would be roofer. Okay, the guy who climbs up on the roof, literally signals. at the top. <laughs> but think how hard that is to do. So at some point, you know, roofers will be making three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year. But then the economics will be there to automate the roofer. And now, now let's think about. We'll be automating homes. We'll be automating home building before we automate roofing. Exactly. Right? Yes, it's hard to do that. So, so, the, so that's a you know that's a cartoon example, but that suggests then that there will be robots that are sort of human sized because why would we re-engineer trillions of dollars of infrastructure, right? And so that suggests they'll be here. So in my book, Unfettered Journey. I imagine, you know, in 2161, there's a, there's a couple kind of general purpose robots that you will see walking around all the time. And, and so one is this mecha, it's, you know, three meters tall, it can reach up another meter. It has this triangular oh, I face. love mecha, man. Mecha yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just, but, but he does stuff, you know, he's got four legs and he can, when he's outside, he moves and it sort of looks like a spider with four legs articulated. When he's inside, to, to be more compact, he has the legs parallel. So, and uh, this robot just does stuff. Okay, and, and then there's another standard chassis, and it's called a Pipabot. And this robot is, you know, oval face. It has actually cartoon eyes in the mouth. It's shorter than us, so that it doesn't intimidate us. <laughs> and it is that like is that you. like a more accurate C3PO, basically? Yes, exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then the Pipabot actually. You know, sends commands to the mechas and, and and intermediates with humans, because we don't want all these robots talking to us. That would just be ridiculously time consuming, right? Well, yeah, it's exactly like now when we're talking to all these robots. We we don't want us to, we don't want to talk to these robots. We want some robot to talk to the other robots for us. Yes, exactly. So 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 okay. So can we imagine that world where you have robots walking around among us, right? Absolutely. I can totally see that. I can totally see that. And I think you're right about 
them being very humanistic because it's like you said with the car. With the car, we had to build an entire infrastructure to make it work. And we, we kind of learned that lesson and said, okay, for robots, we need to make them fit into a humanistic infrastructure. But now, but I'm also, I said, I'm sort of conservative and saying that's not going to happen in 2050 even. It's going to take no. a while to make all that work, right? Yeah. Okay, but then, you know, uh, our listeners here, Chris, do you disagree with that will be inevitable because of the economic driving forces in that, right? I think everything is inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> everything is inevitable everything is inevitable the que- the only question is when everything is going to yes. happen but we okay. just don't know when it's going to happen okay so i'm suggesting then something over a century that will be the reality and i picked 2161 okay and so now think about how so here's i think the fundamental a fundamental question so back up again i said bioscience and ai and robotics are the things driving this is the one that's most noticeable and where we are now are jobs and in you know growing automation, and where we'll get to is where we'll have robots walking around among us, doing every job. So how do we cross the chasm from now to there, and keep society stable when there are no jobs, but there are, there's lots of stuff because when robots you know, um, mine the metals and they uh, smelt the ore and, you know, they make the steel and they build the factories that build the robots. When robots build robots, then suddenly for the first time in human culture, the output is divorced from our labor hours. So think about that. Right now, we always think of productivity in terms of labor hours. How much does it per capita does it produce? But what happens if there are 20 robots that can do the stuff for each of us, right? Then, then so I, just to, to give you a sense of that, in, a, in, in 140 years, if you take, you know, I'm a finance guy, okay? So among other things. And so, you know, uh, I've run the spreadsheets forward, uh, US GDP per person and world GDP per person. Um, with some, you know, likely um, growth in population where it will end up, et cetera. And it turns out that even without this, with our, with our growth, you know, of a couple percent per year, we'll have something between 12 and 20 times as much stuff per person in 2161. Wow. So we'll have that's, a lot that's, more that's, stuff. That's kind of stuff. sad, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Unless we, 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 I think we need some kind of uh, minimalistic uh, event to occur, which will drive us in the other direction, because that's an insane. We already have more stuff than we need. But well, anyway, that's true. go on. Okay. Okay. But, but so, so, but that's the world where we have lots of stuff per person, but no jobs. So, imagine that world. Um, um, will, will we have? You know that you you cannot work more than X hours. Right? Well, yeah. Of course, because yeah, I mean, otherwise we're already you know, looking at the four-hour, four-day work week, right? We're already looking at a four-day work week. I mean, pe- people have been starting to talk about that in in sort of polite company that they're actually talking about reducing the length of the work week. And I said, well, in 140 years, we won't be working at all. Well, well, and, and so in this this future world, I imagine, um, you know, the the maximum you're allowed to work is 12 hours. You know, three days of four hours each. <laughs> that's it it's, it's a law <laughs> that's that's more than george jetson had to wa- work i think he only worked two hours a day or something like that <laughs> right <laughs> pressing buttons <laughs> so so the social question is okay two questions one is um 
who owns the robot factories? Oh, that's it. That is a good question. So, yeah. So here I am. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a capitalist, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, in that I, I do believe that the capitalist system that we have for market economics has produced a lot more stuff per person. You know, as an example, the people who left Cuba during the, the revolution, um, their families that are in Florida have on average, this is a study, seven times as much stuff as the relatives they left behind. Okay. Yeah, so, I believe that. You, you know, so the, the, uh, if the, the, these social systems have a hard time producing the, as much stuff and causing the you know, people to, to work long hours and to, to sacrifice. And so, but, but um, you know, we have lots of robots and then uh, you don't need that anymore. And then if the system is the same, that is, is that we have a few who own the means of production and no one has a job, that's not very um, um, sustainable, I think. It's, and so, so but if there's unlimited the, amount of energy, unlimited amount of power, unlimited, if we have enough resources to just pay everyone some kind of UBI or something like that, is there any reason why we can't migrate to that type of uh, arrangement? Well, that's a good question. So that would suggest then that you have a guaranteed income and that you and you have a system where, you know, I mean, think about it. right now, one of the things about capitalism is supply equals demand. You know, when demand is higher than supply, the prices go up then more factories produce more stuff to meet that because there's a profit motive, right? Yeah. Okay. So but not every not a lot of people understand that. <laughs> okay. But so think about that's kind of the, you know, fundamental 101 economics. And so what happens in that system, the way it works is that, you know, suddenly there's, um, there's a demand for some fad thing or whatever. And, you know, we, we want a new iPhone, if iPhone is, and then there's all the prices go up, et cetera. Um, now that, that mitigation of, um, of, you know, supply and demand is mitigated by information. Amazon knows a heck of a lot about what the demand is for stuff that is out there, right? So, and in fact, one could argue yep. it's far more efficient. So just the data set of what we demand and what we want to have could be fed through into a system, um, which then drives the, um, the factories. And so, and I would argue that can be, you know, many, that could be an order of magnitude more efficient than what we have now, just the data is driving factories, which are driven by robots, right? So, so is this, is this a, a point where I'm just surfing around the internet in whatever device I have, and I'm thinking about buying a car, and then all of a sudden the car just shows up in my driveway the next day. Well, because... the, well, the, the, you know, the deep learning the algorithms figures. I don't out think that. it will be a car because by that time we'll have yeah. autonomous vehicles that we're all renting. But it'll be some some object that I've been looking for will be three D printed and magically dropped on my doorstep. And then if I decide afterwards I don't want it, I can always return it, and it'll be reduced down to its component parts or something right, like that. Right. Well, well, so in fact, what's the future of money and all that? So yes, I mean, but so that demand algorithm could could average what it is and produce enough so that those of us who did carry through and want the car would have it arrive very quickly. And those that didn't, it had figured that all out, right? So, yeah, so, um, so, so I, so in my book, I have a conceit, okay? And I don't necessarily say this will happen, but you know, in 140 years, the, the storyline is that um, after the climate wars, <laughs> fighting over limited resources, 
We're, um, we're gonna. So it's gonna be. Uh, what is that? That Mad, Mel Gibson movie, right? Mad Max. Are we gonna have a, like a Mad no, Max no, period no, of time? No, this, this is more, most people would say this is a more utopia because I think um, the hard science reality is is that we will use our technology to try to stumble through and figure out how to solve these problems. Right. So yeah, no, so. I, I, I'm with you. I think every time we come up against something that seems intractable, our ingenuity figures it out. We just don't know how yet. Yes, yeah. But so the conceit is that what happens is, uh, quote, um, the economics changed because when there were then we rebuilt um, some damage with more robot factories. And then, of course, there's lots more robots. And so the last of the jobs disappear pretty much. And in more egalitarian countries, you can imagine certain Scandinavian countries, in more egalitarian, they, had, they came up with a more equitable solution. But here in the United States, because we have such a strong property rights um, um, part of our culture, the what happened is that the the means of production robot factories were owned by everyone but in exchange the oligarchs who owned them uh pushed through some um, new laws called the levels acts which 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 assigns levels from one to 99 and um you know there is sort of a hierarchy there and 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 you have your level and you can move up and down based upon merit and everything else and, but there's the level tax, and that's what happens. Sounds a bit like a social credit score. Is that yeah, yeah, similar yeah, to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How so, do we know it's not already being tracked? It's probably already there. Well, well, well here's a social question. Um, do we have levels today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We just, so, they're just not out there in front of everybody to say, oh, uh, here's my level. Here's my level. They're all there, and it's yeah. funny because I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about how oh did did when America was founded did we get rid of the caste system? And I'm like, no, we just created a new one. Right. Yeah. 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 So you know, so that's the social justice um, you know sort of story in the part of my book is that there are these levels um, that you, you know there's certain restrictions. Supposedly the levels are all meritocratic. But you know, one could imagine there's a legacy component in the in the um, algorithms that is still there, and uh, you know, and then the algorithms say, well, if you're if you are more than twenty levels separated from someone else, you actually um, they they don't get pinged by your you know your um, your uh, app that says uh, you know uh, who who might you be dating, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you can only date people in certain levels above and below you. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, only that's, up that's basically that's the reality yeah. today, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know, and, and you know, and if it's harder to get a passport to travel because, of course, we're so eco that it's a bad idea to travel and use up all that energy and so forth. So, so there's, but there are limitations, and you know, is that fair? So, um, in the book, one of the one of the uh, storylines is that one of the characters is fighting for the justice to remove these sorts of restrictions. Okay, that's the social justice story. So how do you, in your in the world that you've envisioned, how do you move up the social, the levels? How do you move up the levels? I'm assuming well, you, yeah. up is, is up higher one, numbers up or one, lower yeah. numbers? N- number okay, one is Okay, one is like the top. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the so, main character is, a, is, a, is an AI scientist, uh, Joe Denkinsmith. And Joe, you can imagine he might have been just an average guy, a level 50, right? But at the time of the book, he's 31 years old, and he's a level 42. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Good number. <laughs> Good number, yes. <laughs> For all our sci-fi uh, audience members, yes. Good number. Okay. So he's level, you know, and, and he's, 
And so, yeah, so in, in, in fact, if you ask Joe, he says, well, I haven't really thought about this very much, but it seems kind of fair to me, you know, you can move up and down levels, you work harder and you're more successful, you get, that's what happens. So that's what he says. And so Joe is, um, you know, back to 42, um, Joe is an AI scientist and he's, his job working with the AI ministry is to create true robot consciousness. Okay. Mm, now, okay. people looking at the robots walking around, the general convention is, oh, yeah, they seem kind of uh, conscious and sentient. But Joe knows it's basically all tricks all the way down. It's, they haven't quite re uh, achieved that. And so Joe takes a sabbatical from that job to kind of figure out how this might be possible, if at all. So, so you know, so he's trying to find the meaning of life, actually. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and 42, right? <laughs> and so I love know, it. Joe, so he, he he takes, but in this world, is he get does he get paid money or is he just doing it for the levels? Oh, is, that, is that how it works? Okay. So the way it works is um, basically everything is free. And mm -hmm. okay, except for the top 10% of stuff. Okay. So top 10% of stuff. That's the interesting. The top 10% um, you have to pay for, you have to use credits. Okay. So because, you know, we as humans, uh, can you imagine us not being competitive? No, it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. So, so even there's lots of stuff, there's still this competitive thing. So, you know, Joe says, well, that's pretty good. You know, if you work hard, if you're creative, you know, you might, you know, like he's thinking my favorite, my favorite whiskey, right? I, you know, there's, there's a reason I want to use credits yeah, to yeah, get that, yeah. right? And, and it's finite and not everyone can have it. And that's why we still want the top stuff and we have to pay credits for it. But everything else is free. Um, and early on, Joe and, and a character Gabe go into a restaurant, they sit down, they eat, you know, and when they leave, they just wave to the robots and, and you know, there's no pay, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Except that, except that, um, you know, uh, Joe says, um, he's being very polite and he says, geez, can I pay for the wine? And Gabe says, oh, it was a very good wine, but no, it's not in the top 10%. You know, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, that's so everything society. is free unless you want, unless you want an upgrade. Yes. Sounds like, now, okay. Now, does that make sense? I mean, can you imagine that world? So. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that. I can totally okay. see that. Okay, so and, you have, and yeah, so, so you, you have a job. menu. You have a menu with uh, with all your items on it, but then there's like a special section for upgraded items or everything yeah, that we yeah. have that you actually yeah. have to pay 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 money for. Of course, yeah. there's not going to be any cash. It'll be well, some kind of there uh, are exterior credits. Currency. You know, you have, yeah, your credits. You have this electronic, you know, thing. There are also dark yeah. credits if you really don't want. If you're really concerned about your privacy being tracked. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. That that's never going to go away. Yeah, yeah. So, so here's a question. You asked about the job, though. Um, in that world where there are so few jobs and there is there are lots of stuff, is having a job a privilege? A privilege. I guess it depends on the individual, right? So, so, so I mean, as if, example, if you if you have a world where jobs are not a requirement then you're going to have some individuals who will want to work and you'll have others other individuals who will just pursue their passions, right? No matter right. what it is. Because but, right now yeah. we're in a situation where it's almost like a, a Venn diagram. You've got pursuing your passions. Can I get paid for this? And these things have to overlap. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you'll end up doing something you hate just to make your money. Yes. But in this world that you've created or will be, 
hopefully at some (laughs) point, uh, you can follow your passion and not have to worry about doing something that specifically makes money. So we, we can, you, mm-hmm. I can't imagine the innovation is the most amazing stuff that we can just think up because we don't have to worry about the economic imperative. Yeah. So, so one example of the jobs, though. Uh, so there's uh, at this point, there is a um, there's something called the wise orbital base, which is for uh, it's the world interstellar, um, you know, uh, scientific kind of expedition where, where the, the human humans are trying to send exo, uh, uh, um, probes and ultimately people to exoplanets. Right. Um, so in 140 years, we have this station in, uh, in orbit around the moon, okay? And uh, there's a job um, uh, managed by um, a person named Dina, and you know, she's got a thousand robots and they're building this stuff, okay? Would that be a cool job that a lot of people would want, right? That would be very cool. I would love yeah. to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but you know, there's only one of those jobs. So again, um, the best jobs, how do you, who gets those? How does that work? Right. Well, how, how would you, I can't, I'm trying to imagine what is education like in that world? Okay. I mean, do you even need to educate yourself other than just for, for enjoyment? Like what, what kind of skills do we give our kids? Are kids, are kids decanted or are they still born? Like, okay. I mean, tell me more about this world. I mean, I'm trying to figure out the, okay. Okay. the elements so, of it. Very good questions because, okay, let's talk about that decanted. <laughs> um, so again, this is a hard science view of the future. A lot of that stuff I think is so far out there. Um, you know, that, that sort of sci-fi future takes things that are happening and brings them to the absurd. And the reality is, no, we'll still be born in the same way. I mean, you, you might have, you know, take in vitro and remove that up and stuff, but we're still humans. There's a million years of evolution, right? Um, and, um, and so that will still be the same. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I mean, so let, let, to answer that, let's describe this eerily authentic view. So how are humans themselves different in 140 years? Okay, I've got two main devices. Okay, So one is uh, take your cell phone, right? We've got a cell phone. Uh, it's a chip behind your ear. <laughs> okay, embedded. But then chip. I can't buy an iPhone. I guess you can have it inserted, right? <laughs> no, no, it's inserted. It's inserted. And, you know, and you've got a, you've got a, a corneal overlay, something in your eye. And, uh, you're, and you have something called a NEST, a neural to external systems transmitter that connects to the net. And you can just talk, right? Because, you know, the human um, animal has been optimized for speech and vision, right? Um, so Yeah, so you don't, you don't bypass the senses, you leverage the senses. Exactly. So, you know, what happens is if I run into you, Chris, on the street, and I'm, I'm going to talk to you, I might just say, uh, you know, take a bit snap. And it, the corneal thing takes a picture and then it searches and it finds out about you. And then I walk up to you and I say, hi, Chris, you know, you know, I hear you're doing podcasts. <laughs> okay. So, so, uh, so do, 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 is, is that's, that's just leveraging what we have, but I have the conceit. So Joe gets on an airplane um, and the social protocol is as a child, you learn, you know, 50 or hundred words that you can work you can memorize and so the on an airplane you don't want to talk out loud so you kind of think a couple of keywords you think search this and and you have this 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 thing gets the gist of what you're asking for but that's really slow so you know oh so you do have you do have tech that's able to read your mind yeah but, you know the, okay. so i guess i'm suggesting that elon's uh, neural is going to be 
useful for people who have severe handicaps of certain kinds, but is it going to be prevalent? No, no. So, so does that feel that device? Does that feel so weird, or can you imagine essentially your phone being more accessible? No, I absolutely can imagine that. And I don't know if you read uh, Delaney at all, but he had no, this no. idea, this concept of general intelligence or GI. So it's like yes, yes. something implanted in your head. You think of yeah. a something, it pops into your head. That's what I'm saying. In that kind of world, what type of education would you need? I mean, how would you raise your children? What would you do? Would you even need to have children? I mean, if all of your... I mean, one of the reasons why people have children is because they wanted to sort of procreate their, their yeah. genetic pool, right? Yeah. And do we even need that any longer? I mean, what's going to happen to birth rates? I mean, there's so much... Yeah, but, okay, <laughs> so much but, interesting stuff that's I can hear. That's where I think that's where it gets off to what I think is the absurd. We will still be humans, okay? Uh, we will still have children. The process is probably going to be easier, but it's still we're going to still have children. We'll we'll still have the human urge to do that, um, and um, we will still have to educate them. So, for example, Joe's you know a mathematician too, and he remembers back to the time when he's taking the the math exams and you know or organic theory. So. Um, you know, um, you, you can't skip doing the problem sets. <laughs> you have some memory enhancers, but it doesn't help much. You still have to do the hard right. work to get through. And then in terms of the education, because um, we live a lot longer, um, you know, we can live to 120 years. Um, but uh, so someone who's an academic will get two PhDs because you can create more information and knowledge if you can find the intersection between traditional fields. Right. And but you're doing things for the for the good of your the planet or your or the human race or because you enjoy it as opposed to because you need to earn a living. Because you don't need to earn a living, but now imagine that for all the folks who don't have interesting jobs, I mean, how much poetry can we write and you know what can we do, right? So, and that's a real problem. I mean, what happens if we have all this free time in, you know, rather than, rather than today, there are 4,000 books published in the U.S. a day. Okay, now with, you know, with lots of indie publishing. And... That's a very depressing number. Now I can't read that many books. Come on, man. <laughs> right. So, so um, you know, go add a, you know, an order or two of magnitude to that stuff, right? So, so I guess I'm pointing out that there are limits to the, you know, the argument that, oh, we can just be creative. Well, okay, yeah. So I think that there we, will be We can real... be creative, but it'll fall on deaf ears because there's just too many books out there to read. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so how do we find purpose and meaning in a, in a job, in a world when we truly don't need to work and mm -hmm. there aren't any jobs more importantly, you know, that, and you can't get the interesting jobs. So that's a, that's a real problem I think, for the future. Well, I, I want to hear how you solve it because it sounds like you have. <laughs> well, so so here's the question. You got this look on your face like, I know how to solve this problem, and I'm not telling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think, though, that's a very different problem that, you know, again, you, you mentioned some ways that the future has been, you know, predicted that I think are too far out there, highly unlikely. I think the likely... Uh, um, way it will evolve is something that makes us still feel pretty human. Okay, I mentioned two devices. One is this Nest, 
you know, that lets you connect. The second is what I call the MedFlow. It's a, it's a device that's kind of implanted down by your hip. It microdoses. There are things that monitors your system. You know, it gives you a little, a little caffeine and microdoses when you, you program it. So um, you have it. Or, have or a, when you think about something particular or when it senses something, it will it will dose you. Like if yeah, it says it you're, okay, you're getting a headache. I think we'll microdose you something to solve that problem. Depends on how like you set the parameters. And then we actually right. have something called, you know, CRE 15.0. <laughs> um, you, <laughs> you can have an AI that's uh, resident on your nest. And, and so the book opens. Can with, I name uh, it anything I want? Because I want to give it a name. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, Joe starts off with his AI uh, named Radney, <laughs> which, which actually happens to be one of the sirens in um, Odysseus, <laughs> you know the <laughs> sirens that sing their song and lead you down some path. Oh yeah, escape. absolutely. Yeah, so, I love it. So, but but imagine if you've got your you've got your AI that's tied up in your head and you can just talk. You know, it's talking to you and it monitors you and it knows you well. I mean, would we like that? Do we want that? I would love that. I want that today. I want that today <laughs> because I'm. So I need that layer between myself and the rest of the world because <laughs> spending time dealing with the world is just such a pain. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, but, but here's the thing. I think most people, we have too much, right? We have too much social media. We, are, we have too much inter interruption by our devices. We can never have a clear head, right? So what happens when you have this ability to have that AI Siri that works really well because it's, it's intimately tied into your wants and all that sort of thing. And the technology is better. Can we still think in the, can we still think clearly? Um, how do we find that, um, that headspace, right? In that world? Well, yeah, because you don't know what, what your assistant is telling you, right? Yeah. I mean, if we, if we assume all best of all possible worlds, it's only helping you and it's not being influenced by anything else, mm -hmm. right? There's no outside influence. It's kind of like what I've been saying before is that, Right now we have all these virtual assistants, but they all work for the company. They don't yes. work for us. So we really need a virtual <laughs> assistant that works for us that can talk to the one that works for the company, right? Yeah, okay. We need that okay. intermediary okay. that's on our side. Because right yeah. now, us poor humans, we can't handle it. We've got all these right. super algorithms just crushing us. And we're like, I can't even book a good flight because there's so many algorithms on the other side making them more profitable and yeah. and poor human me i can't get anything and even the ones that are in between like kayak and all those other ones they're not helping me they're helping themselves but anyway yes, exactly I, but, I but, 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 but right but if that economic system kind of goes away because it's not important who cares about because there's lots of stuff right then maybe yeah. then those things are actually more engineered to help us but then the sure. question is will we still start to believe that they're kind of almost sentient and conscious because you know they're in their head all the time right and so oh yeah well i would say that, that the whole concept of sentience is like what is what is the real definition and don't we have something that's close enough at, not today but it's soon we'll have something that's close enough to say it's close enough to be sentient for me yes but then i i, I go back to what, one of the things that started me on this project was my you know, my uh, degree in theory of mind, and it gets to the fundamental question, you know, what is human consciousness? You know, and, um, and, you know, and then can AIs and robots ever reach that? And as I said, I'm, I'm quite doubtful that it'll happen anytime soon. They will, they will. But it will like happen it. at some point. It may well, be more than a hundred years away. Well, I don't know. I don't know. 
you know what 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 is human like human like i guess is the best you can do I totally agree I t- well yeah there's the, i mean there's there are those who think that um you know i think um Stephen Hawking was uh, uh, in uh, in uh, agreement with I think people like Elon who worry about the singularity and it's again once they you reach to general intelligence and because the computers are so fast if one suddenly reaches that they're smarter than us and then they use that to multiply that ability the next thing you know they're they they are they're in control. So what, what's the it's the, Skynet, the it's Skynet. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, don't yeah. you think that we're really yeah. far away from general, from I general AI? I think we're very like super far away from general. I agree. AI. I think we're super far away because right? I don't think we know what consciousness itself is yet. And that's, I think that's a, you know, multi-century um, journey to figure that out. Would you say that that's something that we've been struggling with for a long time or just recently? the meaning of what consciousness is no it's if you look at the if you look at the philosophy you know chambers with uh chalmers with the with the hard problem of consciousness and there's a lot in the philosophical world trying to define what that is and and um you know some of the, some of the lines that i tend to follow and agree with are that consciousness itself it requires embodiment right we are embodied in this world uh, we get the sensory inputs from that, from the world. And that interaction with the world is what creates meaning for us. And meaning is central to human consciousness. So, so you know, what is that I at the center of you? And, you know, our audience, what's the center? What is that I at the center of you? What is it really? What, what is that thing? And now imagine how you get that in a machine, if ever, right? How does that work? So you wouldn't be able to, so that those sci-fi concepts of uploading your brain or being in a, in a, in a bank of machines, we're not consciousness any longer once that happens. Is that true? I think, I think that's completely ridiculous. (laughs) 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 Well, it's it's like, it it assumes the mind can be software, but I don't think consciousness can be software. Can it? Agreed. I don't think it is at all. I think it's something else. It's something else than, than. Software. I mean, I think it's I think it's like a useful analogy, a useful analogy or, or or metaphor right now that we have, but I, I don't I don't think it goes far enough, right? Yeah, well, it's just a, it's a it's in some ways the we we use the analogy based upon our latest technology. I think you know that they were thinking about the mind in terms of like you know steam engines and stuff at one point and gases and then and they took telegraph and you know now it's the it's a computer upload. I mean, it's it's still just a very weak analogy to something we don't understand. So. So, so, the, so then they make the jump to assume that you could take the brain and download it, even if you can copy all of the neural connections. I mean, you know, there's trillions. There's just an enormous number of synaptic connections that you realize that they're constantly getting rewired at, you know, I think tens of thousands per second, right, in our mm-hmm. human brain. It's a ridiculously dynamic system of what's going on in there, and that creates meaning for us as we are embodied in the world. So the idea that something is simplistic is we'll just kind of try to figure out how to copy that system and then that's the person that's i think that's just absurd so, <laughs> so yeah. i have a so that speaking of creativity for a second um i'm assuming you've seen some of these attempts at ai to create something yeah. creative like books or writing or a book. movies I've, I've or music or whatever yes and 
do you think we'll ever get to the point where that's actually going to happen? Like, we'll be able to get that? Because I, I, I'm seeing this world where, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here and Netflix all of a sudden has is full of stuff that really appeals to me because it yes. just created it on the fly based on what I'm interested in. Are yeah. we going to see that? Yes. So, yes. I mean, uh, we're, what we're seeing is that those algorithms, the, the deep learning algorithms, are, are really effective at, at sussing this stuff out. You know, I think the latest, the latest Google uh, models was a 500 billion layers to their hierarchy. And so they've got that many vectors. Think of it as a space of that many dimensions, right? Uh, and these things are just ridiculously deep to suss that out. But now they're based on these huge data sets. So um, does that generalize to uh, lots of other things that are part of human intelligence walking around the world? Um, and then how do you do that if you don't have those data sets? <laughs> right. So, so uh, when, when I was at that workshop, I said, uh, you know, um, like a year before my book was finished, um, uh, I was struck by the, it was, the title was AI and the Barrier of Meaning. Mm. So, you know, how do you get past that barrier? And I was surprised by the fact that these experts, many who had been in the field for 20, 30, 40 years, they were very cynical. <laughs> because, Interesting. Because they were afraid of yet another AI winter. Um, you know, they, they went through, you know, suddenly AI was very, very popular. There was some breakthrough. Um, you know, they were the few that had some experience. They're putting on the resume, they're in huge demand. They hit an AI winter. They took those things off the resume so they could get another job. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, so, because they don't, because there's not like a clear uh, path. Um, you know? Yeah. And, and, but we love clear paths, human beings. Yes. So, so uh, you, you, you may realize then I argued that robots are rocking, walking around among us, I think is a clear path. It's a clear engineering path to get from here to there. Um, yeah. Um, how far we take AI, uh, deep learning, and those algorithms? I think they will be. I think they will really appear to most people to be pretty darn smart. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> well, do you think but, that? See, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about the the types of jobs that are going to disappear first are we are we are talking about white collar work right things that are i'm sitting here at my desk moving some excel spreadsheets around yeah that's going to disappear first right because you're going to you're going yeah. to see those those types of gigs and then in the future of work i've heard various scenarios one of the which is you've got a layer of humans on top you've got a dispatch layer where all of, all of middle management disappears and becomes AI. And then everyone's a worker at the bottom. I don't even know if that model works, but I mean, do you see what, what models of work are we going to see before we get to the Nirvana that you describe? Okay. Well, that's what I think is the greatest challenge again, where we are now. And at some point, you know, a hundred to 150 years in the future, we will have robots walking around, among us and doing a pretty darn good at job at what humans can do. You know, they'll be, they'll be busing restaurants, they'll be serving all the food. In my book, I've got, you know, there's still a chef, the chef, because, because <laughs> the chefs, you know, there's a, he loves to cook food. A human chef, right? Because they can taste. Created, right. And, but everything else, everyone else is a robot and, you know, so, and, and then you pay more for that because it's creative and, you know, you send, I said, you that reminds me of a Futurama episode where Bender tries to become a chef. 
and everything is like super salty and inedible because he get, of course he doesn't have taste buds. <laughs> <laughs> That's the intermediate step here, where yeah, all these yeah, exactly. very annoying, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, but in fact, there's a okay. There, there's there's many levels in my book, and and so there's one character at one point who says, you know, um, consciousness. Joe says, you know, you know, do you really know what it feels like? to taste an apple and the response is i know apples you know i know exactly all the chemicals that make up an apple you know <laughs> i can tell you all the chemical formulas <laughs> yeah yeah but do you know what an apple tastes like right yeah yeah what's the, what's what's the in in the philosophical world what's the qualia there's a qualia that what is it like to taste an apple right what is yeah and that's and and um, you know, philosophers' mind tend to believe that quality is central to consciousness to that whole experience, and that's why I think it's going to be extraordinarily hard to make robots and AIs conscious, if ever, because we don't understand that. Right. Yeah. I can't see that. I can't see that happening for a long, very long time. But it will happen. It will happen. <laughs> the only question is when. I right. Don't, I don't know. I so, don't know. <laughs> Normally we have a segment called Think Like a Futurist, but we've been thinking like a futurist the entire time. So, <laughs> so um, like if somebody wants to pick up, I mean, I love I love the concept of the book. I've downloaded it. I have not read it yet. I'm sorry, but I'm no going worries. to <laughs> because it sounds fantastic. So if somebody wants to get a copy of the book, what's the best yes. way? Go to Amazon so, so or the, do you have? So yeah, so the book is Unfettered Journey. It's now available in eight languages. It's won seven awards, um, nice. including everything from debut fiction to best sci-fi to best spiritual fiction. Um, it's won the Eric Hoffman Award, um, which is a, you know, philosophical award um oh well i have to read it because i am a philosopher okay. <laughs> and, and it's and it's it's an interesting difficult but it's has a hard science view of the future but it is really a cross-genre adventure and love story uh, that tries to ask these deep questions about you know how does the future evolve you know how do we find purpose and meaning in that world which i think will happen and yes, you can get it at Amazon and Apple Books and Google and every place that you can get books. So. I love it. So, do you do you end with do you end with uh, is it encapsulated as a single book or is there the possibility of going on? No, I more took, books. I, I have this is one book. Um, it has an appendice that is actually a very rigorous philosophical. Uh, 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 deep dive onto the philosophy behind this in terms of uh, the ontology of, of, uh, of um, consciousness. Nice. And so, so could but, I also use it as a self-help book and a planner and a planner for the future? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think most people will love my characters. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of my characters. I've got some very, uh, I think, incredible women characters in the book. Um, and I think these, uh, you know, fortuitously in terms of the timing, the social justice themes in the book also resonate with you know what's going on in the world today. So, fantastic. Well, I can't wait to read it. So, thank you so much. This has been great. Lots of fun. Um, I'm gonna. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Um, so uh, you can go to my author website, GaryFBenger.com, spelled B-E-N-G-I-E-R. So GaryFBenger.com. 
and find out more about the book. And yeah, please uh, go out and read it and uh, uh, leave me some reviews. I love, 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 love the, uh, the great reviews of it again. Thank you. Sounds good. And I'll put the link in the show notes so that people can go direct. So thank you so much. It was great Thanks, talking Chris. with you. Been fun. Right. Thanks. Talk to you soon.